Hi everyone, Karen here with Citizen Dame. As we mentioned on our last episode, we're taking a break this week, but we will be back with episode 9 next week, and I'm sure there will be plenty of garbage humans to discuss then. But this week, we're bringing you our first mini-sode. I had the opportunity to chat with someone who is definitely not a garbage human, Dee Reese. Dee Reese is the director and co-writer for the film Mudbound, which opened AFI Fest on Thursday night. It will be available on Netflix beginning this Friday the 17th, and will also be in select theaters. Mudbound is the story of a Mississippi landowner and a sharecropper and their families in the 1940s. It stars Mary J. Blige, Jason Clark, Garrett Hedlund, Carrie Mulligan, Jason Mitchell, Rob Morgan, and Jonathan Banks. So please enjoy this mini-sode, my interview with Dee Reese. Violence is part and parcel of country life. I learned how to stitch up a bleeding wound, load and fire a shotgun. My hands did these things, but I was never easy in my mind. Way down in the water. I held his heartbeat in my head. Way down in the water. All that time he was gone, I only prayed for him. Over there, I was a liberator. People lined up in the streets waiting for us. Sometimes I actually miss it. Yeah, me too. I'm coming back from the fire. You're the one I always talk about. I own and I own parts are the only way to get up from under that foot. I don't want you working for them. I won't be working for them. I'll be working for us. When I was to fight for my country to come back and find ahead and change a bit. I don't know what they let you do over there, but you in Mississippi now. You use the back door. Boy, you found trust. Jamie saw in a different way. And when his eyes were on me, I felt like I was no longer invisible. I seen you sniffing after him. Maybe Henry is too thick to notice, but I ain't. You better open your eyes, big brother. You're so busy worrying about yourself and your farm, you can't even see your own wife is miserable. They work this land all they lie. I used to walk away from the fight. I know more. This land that never would be theirs. You don't need to go, Jamie. I can't stay here. They worked until they sweated. We'll be okay. They sweated until they bled. Oh. They bled until they died. Died clawing at the heart. Brown back. That would never be theirs. When I think of the farm, I think of mud. I dreamed in brown. Way down in the water, far away from any soul. So it was really exciting to talk to you, a woman who is a filmmaker, a writer, a director. So um, thank you so much. First of all, I want to congratulate you for Mudbound. Thank That's you. <laughs> amazing film. What has this year been like for you? You started off in Sundance in January, and now you're opening AFI. Yeah, no, it's been huge, and it's light. It's like it's been like so encouraging and like just happy making to like see the film stay alive in this way. As more and more audiences are seeing it, it just keeps gaining momentum. And so for me, the big challenge has been like figuring out how to squeeze in other work. So I had this other script that you know is just greenlit with Carrie Mulligan called The Uncivil War, and so that's going. So I was like writing that like in between like January and now. And then um, 
yeah, and like some other things I'm kind of pushing for, like this Joan Didion adaptation, like I'm, I'm, what I want to do. So for me as an artist, like I'm just always trying to like keep my eye like on the next thing. But you know, Mudbound obviously is like you know a pleasure to like you know talk about and sell and take around, and you know it comes out in two weeks, so it's like my last chance to like you know see get audience feedback face to face. So I'm just like you know enjoying that because as an artist, like usually there's a screen between you, so. Yeah. yeah, that's true. What was it like for you when you found out you were going to be opening AFI? I was thrilled. I was excited. No, it's like huge. So it's a, it's a huge deal. And I think the cast is like blown away and excited. I'm just glad because their generosity and their hard work is being like recognized. So like it points to them and like all the craftswomen behind the camera, it points to them. Like Rachel Morrison was my DP. Tamar Kali was my composer. Like this is her first film score and it's like amazing. Uh, Mako Kamitsuna is my editor and like on a film like this, all these voices, like the editing itself is like a rewriting and it's like a very intense exercise. And even just like our, our head makeup artist, Angie Wells, who did all this natural looking makeup and put Kuzak, who's our sound recorder. So there's a lot of women behind the camera on this film and I'm glad that it's getting this attention because it just like shines a light on all the effort of these women. So yeah, yeah. that's true. And that's actually something that I was wondering about. Um, there are a lot of women mm-hmm. on screen and behind the scenes with this mm-hmm. film. Is that something that you intentionally sought out? I did, yeah, I did. And I wanted to not be confused with like tokenism. Like I chose these women not just because they're women, because they're the best at what they do, you know? And so it was that and wanting to prove that there is excellence to be had in every, you know, in every category. And I, I almost had a woman production designer, Hannah Beekler, but I lost her to Black Panther. But like, I tried. <laughs> but um, but um, the, the the two like male department heads we had were um, uh, David Bomba, our production designer, and I liked him because he was a Southerner, and he came highly recommended from this line producer Ronchim that I love, and then Michael T. Boyd, who I love from Bessie, and I could not work with him, so I didn't penalize him just because he was like a man. But um, <laughs> but no, it was it was a deliberate choice, but also to prove that like it's not about tokenism, it's about excellence. Like, celebrate these women, not for who they are first, but for their craft. And then, yeah. yeah. Well, that's been a big conversation this year with Patty Jenkins directing Wonder Woman, is, oh, look, a woman directed a movie that was, you know, $150 million budget and Mm -hmm. did really well. They're acting Mm -hmm. like it's just by chance, and they're not... I feel like a lot of people aren't recognizing that it's her skill as a director. Yeah. So how is how do you argue feel, against that? I feel like she's getting actually like a lot of love, and I think there actually has to be like a separation. Like Wonder Woman to me can't be compared to Mudbound. Like there has to be equal acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know we can't say okay we've got Patty on a panel, we've got two other women on the panel. Like I'm not on the panel. Like oh we've we've ticked our diversity box because we have these three white women. You know what I mean? So right. that's where I see like a blind spot in it all. Like they're not. There's not like a separation or there's not like allowing one thing to be a popcorn movie and one thing to be like an Oscar contender. It's like putting them all in the same boat or even like ignoring like our film. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that is something that is actually something else that you're you're dealing with, too. Not only are you a woman Mm -hmm. that's directing films, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately not common enough mm-hmm. but you're also a woman of color yeah and I'm also a lesbian so I have there all you the, go you're all checking the, all the boxes I have all the isms <laughs> yeah. you know that are like subconsciously I think you know shaping how people talk about it and so mm-hmm. that's why I'm working so hard to make sure that the work is acknowledged and like the excellence is on the screen we put it on the screen like you know you don't have to like celebrate me but celebrate the work like give it its due you know mm-hmm. yeah and how do you feel like those pieces of yourself I guess guide what you do with the films that you make? Um, I just think, you know, it's hard to say because I just am who I am. So, like, you know, it's hard to, like, 
suss out what's personality and what's identity, you know. But for me, I just try to tell authentic stories that mean something to me. I try to tell, like, Pariah came from the heart. Like, I wanted to tell a story about this this lesbian coming-of-age story when no one wanted to do a black lesbian coming-of-age story, you know. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make this journey, you know, possible for other people going through the same thing that I went through, you know. Even though I came out, like, as an adult versus, like, like as a teen. And, like, was with Bessie, I was drawn to that because I wanted to tell a story about this woman of color who's queer from Tennessee. Like, I'm from Tennessee and queer. And, like, you know, we, we who made a name for herself in a world she wasn't supposed to be able to do that. And we're still talking about her, you know. Like, there are many blues women, but she's the name who we know. So... You know, I tell stories that, that, that mean something to me and that make people feel and like I'm not, you know, leading with a message. I'm not interested in polemic, but I think that if I get characters right and relationships right, then you f naturally feel something and that will maybe shift something in people and how they see themselves or see the world. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I bring in the same thing with like Mudbound. I wanted to like go for the characters and relationships that come originally from Haley Jordan's book, but I wanted to bring my own personal history to it and just make audiences like feel and like, you know, just think about about you know how their lives are connected and think about how we all got here and start to question like our inheritance not just material inheritance but what are the silences we've inherited like what are the things we've just like agreed to not talk about you know like what are the things that you know like what are the narratives that we've inherited about ourselves and like how much of that is mythology versus like you know real yeah Thank you so much for that, because I think a lot of times people are quick to assume that, oh, you're just saying that because you're a woman, or you're just saying that because you're a lesbian, or whatever, mm -hmm. and that's not the case at all, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So about Mudbound, which is, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about it, and <laughs> there aren't enough, I don't know enough adjectives, but, um, but it's a great film, but one of the things that you were just talking about, you know, you've got the characters... You know, you've got Jason Clark and Garrett Hedlund and Jonathan Banks. You've got that family, the father mm -hmm. and the two sons. You've mm -hmm. got this horribly violently racist father, a son who mm -hmm. is bad, but not quite to that level. And then yeah. you've got this son who's completely yeah. different, like this other son. So yeah. how, when you were writing, co-writing mm -hmm. the film, mm -hmm. like, how did you address those types of characters to, to create them? Yeah, I think I just did more in the performance and I talked to Jason Clark about whiteness as currency and the truth is they're all racist. It's just mm -hmm. manifest in different ways. You know, there's the racism of low expectations. There's a racism of like willful ignorance, like I'm just not going to see you. There's a racism of like overt like name calling. And so if you look at whiteness as currency, it's just they all spin it differently. And so Pappy flaunts his, he's going to throw it in your face. Henry spins his firmly. He believes the system works. He's not going to call you a name, but he will say, yeah, sorry about your broken leg, but come attend to commerce. And Laura, you know, barges with hers. Like, she knows that when she asks Florence to do something, Florence doesn't quite have the choice to say no, but Laura will give something in return, kind of a thing. And Jamie tries to burn his. He tries to pretend he doesn't have currency, which is equally dangerous because it places his friend in danger. And so, you know, by dealing with his currency, then it can be a nuanced approach to it and not just like, you know, a mustache twirling, you know, villain villainous approach and the, the thing about racism I think that people maybe don't recognize is that you don't have to hate to be a racist like for example like you the, the two often are together but you know people think oh I'm not a racist but what they're really saying is oh, I don't hate which might be true but you might have racist attitudes or behaviors that you haven't examined so for example like me in my building so if like I live, I live in this high-rise and I'm going out in the morning half of my pajamas like to walk my dog 
And so a guy in the elevator is like, oh, so do you, do you have a card? You're, you're at the dog walking service, right? There's, there's nothing about me that is reading dog walking service. I'm in house shoes, for God's sakes. But it's this failure, imagine, failure of imagination that I must be in this building servicing someone or other people who think that I'm someone's nanny. So racism is a failure of imagination. Like, I don't think that guy in the elevator hates me, but I think that he has a racist idea that he's not aware of because he's, he's automatically cast me as the help. You know, when there's no nothing about me that says I'm the help. So I think that that's the thing we haven't really examined as a country and gotten into or examined like personally. And that's not talking about ex- examining like our like in- inheritances. Like, what are our beliefs that we don't know that we believe that we cast about people? You know, like beyond hate. Like, that's the obvious thing. But like, what are the unobvious ways in which we kind of like, you know, perpetuate like ideas? Yeah. I, I cringe every time someone says, I'm not racist, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, we can't help but be, especially if you've, if you've grown up in America, if you've been through this school system, it's, it's in your subconscious, it's like in your psyche, like it's unexamined, like, you know, we, we all need therapy as a country, seriously, like it's like, it's, it's like baked in, honestly, and it takes a real effort to like unbreak it, to uncrack it, to, you know, yeah, I think because of, you know, on, uh, I think for black people, there's like this like internalized shame, and the shame shouldn't be ours. And for white people, there's this like internalized guilt, but then that's just like a useless feeling. So it's like like do something with that. Like like what are you gonna do with it? You know like how do you just like bake it like into your day? Like small ways. Like for example, I was flying back from um, where was I flying back from? I guess it had to be like London, but the stewards. No no no, it was Amsterdam because it's like KLM. But anyway, so I'm in the I'm in the security line to come home. And so I was actually just gonna get my um, TSA pre-check because I already had like applications. So anyway, long story short, like I'd been there for like hours, like like a long time to do this TSA pre-check thing at the same time. And the stewardess like from my flight, like noticed me still there and was like, wait a minute, let me make sure like something is not going on. And she like just stopped and made a point and like looked at me, looked at the officer and said, is everything okay here? You know? And I was like, oh, actually, no, I'm fine. But like, she was like doing this protective thing. It was like totally like, she was like standing beside me, like, are you okay? You know? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pro- I promise you I'm fine. Like she spent her currency on me in this moment where, you know, she had a long flight. She didn't have to like, you know, stop and make sure, you know, I wasn't being like unduly processed, you know, but she did that and it was like a small way and it was maybe because she was Dutch, but like she, you know, recognized, oh, this could be a bad thing. Let me make sure, you know, like I saw this person on plane for like 12 hours and, you know, she, she did nothing wrong. So mm-hmm. I think it's those small ways which people can do something with, you know, their guilt or do something with like their interrogation of their ideas, you know, it's like a productive thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and we need to get to the point where that's just normal and that's just mm-hmm. ha- natural behavior and how we are, you know, yeah, yeah. it totally. needs to not be something that we have to consciously think about. Too, yeah. So, yeah. But it has to be conscious because it's been unconscious for so long. So right. That's the thing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, I know you do have a bunch of irons in the fire right now yeah, yeah. so i mean you've got mudbound you're promoting which comes out on the 17th yeah, on the 17th yep and i know you've talked a lot about the decision to put that on netflix mm-hmm. instead of a traditional theatrical release yeah um have you gotten a lot of backlash from people about that or is it mostly no like, and i think any backlash there is it's just like hiding another ism you know what i mean because it's not about netflix so what is it really about you know please if other films we've talked about were on netflix there wouldn't be this conversation at all so i no, and for and i mean quite honestly if not for netflix this film wouldn't be seen like none of the studios wanted to, 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 to touch this film really like we got a standing ovation at sundance critical acclaim 
it should have sold within like 45 minutes, you know, but it didn't. And so why is that? Like, how is this not seen as excellent? You know, like, how could you view this and not, you know, see this as worthy of purchasing? So I think, you know, thank God for Ted Sarandos and his vision because he's willing to take a risk on the material. He's willing to believe that the audience is intelligent and that the audience can like handle it. And I think that people, you know, yeah, I won't get into that part of it, but I, I think I, I thank them for that. And it was Netflix that kept Pariah alive. Like, even though Netflix was, you know, I was at Sundance, you know, Rewind six years ago, 2011, with Pariah. So Pariah sells to Focus Features for like, like a nice sum, and they give it a small theatrical release. But, you know, what kept it alive was being available digitally. Like, at first, it was like on like the DVD disc, like you had to send off for it on Netflix, and then it was like, you know, available, like streaming. And so I think that, you know, more people saw Pariah on Netflix than ever saw it in theaters, and they're equally as impacted. Like, I have like 10 year olds saying that they saw the film and they're crying, and, you know, it's like, there's no distinguish there there's no distinction to them. And even us as kids growing up in the eighties, I'm assuming you grew up in the eighties, like mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of the movies we saw were like on T V, you know, like you wouldn't go to the theater like opening night, you know, in like typical not not every middle class household, but it's kinda like, you know, it was there's there's no distinction, like, you know, and all like E. T. Jaws, like, you know, I don't know how many of those I was in the theater for, you know? I don't know, like maybe E. T. but like, you know, a lot of stuff like you waited for it to like trickle down to you and so I think it's about like um, global audience, about accessibility, like people actually have their choice. They can watch on the big screen if they want or they can watch it at home if they want, but it doesn't change the fact that the work itself is cinematic. And so, um, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Sorry, I have to wrap you guys. Last question, can I just yeah, ask one more? Of okay, just mm-hmm. one more just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could just select any franchise and direct a film from any franchise that's out there, what would you pick? Um, I would actually do my own like sci-fi franchise, Ooh. which I kind of have in the works, so we'll see. Awesome. All yeah. right. Well, we'll look cool. for that. So cool. Thank you so much so for much. your time. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dee Reese. Please make sure to look for Mudbound for this Friday on Netflix, and we'll see you next week. Way down in the water, far away from any soul.